0: This has been wonderful so far. So excited to be in the room with you. Um, So yeah, we're talking about hungering for the way of Jesus. So uh, I'm wondering if anyone else uh, has reading habits that are similar to mine. So the way that I read pretty much for most of the year, I tend to snack and graze. Okay, so I buy a lot of books and I start a lot of books. Uh, and I read a lot of articles, and I blink my way through a lot of books on Blinkist, which if you don't know is a great way to read books. Um, But then when I'm on vacation, I just devour books. So like my Goodreads reading goal, I like meet it on vacation, because I just, I don't watch shows on vacation, I don't talk to my husband on vacation, (laughs) I'm just kidding. But I just read books on vacation, and um, I love my like, favorite genre is historical fiction. I could just read historical fiction all day. So the, the latest book that I've been reading is about the Dust Bowl of the 1930s. Anybody know what book I'm reading? The Four Winds, Kristen Hannah. Anyway, it's amazing um, and I, I, all I really knew about the Dust Bowl before this was like what I read in a social studies textbook in like seventh grade. So I'm like totally captivated by this. So the Dust Bowl, was this uh, just one of the worst um, ecological disasters in our nation's history. And it was the result of a uh, kind of natural phenomena, a drought, high temperatures, strong winds, but also human, you know, issues uh, related to um, the the depression, that drove you know, federal land policy that changed migration patterns, and then farming practices that stripped the soil of all of its natural resources. And basically, Um, what happened is the land died, like it dried out and died. And so you might uh, be familiar with, uh, you might be able to conjure up sort of the black and white photography of the era of like farmers that just look destitute and, you know, mothers holding children with dirty faces and blank stares and farm equipment that was uh, buried under feet of dust from these dust storms that just ravaged the Great Plains in that era. And um, I didn't fully appreciate, until I was reading this book, the way that, you know how like a mud puddle dries up and it kind of cracks? That during the, the Dust Bowl, in certain places, the land became so dry that it literally began to crack and crumble and fall apart. So I was reading this book, and then I'm reading scripture, and I was reading Psalm 143. And this verse, one little simple verse in Psalm 143, just jumped off the page like body slammed me verse. And it is um, so simple, but it just packed a punch. Psalm 143.6, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul longs for you as a parched land my soul longs for you as a parched land. Psalm 63 has a very similar image and you might be more familiar with this one. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So with, um, you know, I know we're talking about hunger today, but I'm also gonna talk about thirst. And really, these two things are the same thing. They're both ways of your body telling you that it needs something to survive. And I will be honest that part of the reason that this verse, like, body slammed me is I can relate to David, right? My soul (laughs) longs for you as a parched land. As I was reading this verse with all this Dust Bowl imagery, In my mind, I realize this is what David is talking about. David is talking about land whose purpose is to hold water and nurture growth. He's talking about land that is so dry and so brittle and so broken that it's literally breaking and cracking apart. And so I don't know if any of you can relate to that idea that your soul feels so dry that in places it's like crumbling and cracking apart and if if that's you I do encourage you during the next worship time go back and receive prayer if your soul feels dry to the point where it is like breaking apart but I want to take this image from David and I want to g- take that and go a little bit more global and I actually want to scale this and talk about the soul of the Western church in this particular moment. Because when I look around from my perspective, I look at the Western church and I see a landscape that is parched, it is weary, it is exhausted, it is brittle, and in places it is so dry, it is literally breaking and crumbling apart. This is the state of the Western church. And I'm sorry if that's depressing, But hopefully this is not news. Hopefully we're aware that this is just the reality. Um, Obviously there are places of life in the Western church. There are places of vibrant, lush, green spirituality. We experienced some of that this morning. There are pockets of this, but the church in the West has been in steady catastrophic decline for decades. And that's not news and I don't need to quote all the Barna studies and all the Pew studies, but did anybody read the Christianity Today article that came out four days ago? No? The title, Decline of Christianity Shows No Signs of Stopping. Christianity Today, four days ago, Decline of Christianity Shows No Signs of Stopping, and they're talking about Western Christianity, and they're talking about American Christianity, but that title, Decline of Christianity Shows No signs of stopping the church whose purpose is to hold water the living water of God's presence and nurture life is cracking and crumbling and falling apart because it is so dry it is a parched land The church in the West is no longer able to sustain life and growth in many places, and it is slowly dying, just like the Great Plains during the Dust Bowl. These days, um, I do a lot of work for our denomination, and I I see this everywhere. I see churches closing. I see churches losing their influence and voice, slowly dying. I see pastors leaving pastors being depressed. I see pastors slowly burning out. I see pastors dramatically crashing and burning. There is a problem in the Western church. And that's not to say, you know, that's not even to speak of all the friends that I've had who have, this article talked about the the switching from identifying as Christians to identifying as nuns, N-O-N-E, nuns. How many friends do you know who have switched, right? It's devastating. The church is in decline. So how did this happen? How do we get here? Well, just like the Dust Bowl, Dust Bowl is this combination of natural phenomenon, you know, environmental conditions and human influence. I think that's the same thing that's going on in the church. So external to the church, things we don't have control over in the last 20 years, The culture has really changed. The spiritual climate has really changed. Um, And it's continuing to change. Most significantly, we've seen the emergence for the first time in human history of a post-Christian culture. And if you've been around Sanctuary for a while, we talk about this a lot, so I'm not gonna get too much into it. But in case that term is unfamiliar or you're not kind of aware of what that means, post-Christian culture is a reaction to Christendom, which is the era in our history when the church exerted significant influence in culture. Post-Christian culture is a reaction to Christendom, and it's kind of like a vaccine. When you get a vaccine, your body is exposed to enough of a virus that your immune system learns how to defend itself. Post-Christian culture has been exposed to enough of the gospel, a weakened version of the gospel, that it's learned how to defend itself against Christianity. And so that's like the the spiritual weather conditions, the things we don't have control over. It's like the environmental factors that led to the Dust Bowl, the temperature rose, there was a drought, the winds were very strong those summers. These things, we, um, we don't have control over these things and we did not cause them. Right, The world has changed around us. But just like the environmental factors in the Dust Bowl were not enough to cause the kind of catastrophe that happened, the emergence of post-Christian culture is not enough, it's not sufficient on its own to explain the catastrophic decline in the church that we're seeing now. And so we have to ask ourselves, just like in the Dust Bowl, you look at the farming practices, you look at the economic policies, you look at the Land, you know, grants and all these things, um, we have to ask ourselves wh- what have we done to contribute to this phenomenon? What's in our backyard here? Um, and so I think there are ways that the church has contributed to this parched, dried out, exhausted, weary, cracking apart landscape. And when I say that, I don't mean some abstract like institution of the church. I mean us. I mean the people of God. How have we contributed to the, the dry soil in the church? And so there's a lot of things we could talk about, but I just want to talk about one. I'm just going to pull out one thing today that has to do with hungering for the way of Jesus, and that's this. I think that in the West, in American churches, in European churches, I think that we have largely misappropriated the word and the very idea of faith. And we've reduced that concept to mean something we believe cognitively in our minds. Okay, so I believe that God exists, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And those two things, along with occasional church attendance, equals faith. That's what we have reduced faith to in our churches. And from there, we extrapolate, what does it mean to exercise faith? It means I continue to believe these things in my mind when my life gets hard. So, when I don't get the job that I want, when my boyfriend breaks up with me, when my grandmother dies, do I still believe that God exists? Do I still believe that Jesus died for my sins? Yes, I have strong faith. That is what faith means. It means to continue to believe these things in my mind. So, that is a, um, that is a very reduced, reduced version of what faith should be. Because let me tell you something, there's a huge difference between looking at a rope, let's say there's a rope off the building, I don't know, you're like a spy, and you're gonna rappel down the building. There's a huge difference looking at this rope and saying, I bet that rope could hold my weight and jumping off the building, trusting the rope is gonna hold your weight. They're both faith, but one of them is significantly deeper and more substantive than the other. They're both faith, but jumping off the building and trusting that rope is really different than thinking in your head, I bet that rope could hold me. And so it seems like, and I don't know, this is just my thought, it seems like that first kind of faith, I believe God exists, I believe Jesus died for my sins, was enough at the height of Christendom to get butts in pews. This is enough for the church to survive because the conditions were favorable. The environmental conditions in Christendom were favorable. And in a moral, in a culture of moral therapeutic deism, the idea that there's a God out there who can help you through the hard times in your life, that's very attractive. And so the church, survived and we could say the church in the west in Christendom even selected for that kind of moral therapeutic shallow faith that exists in our minds and that's kind of what has happened but the environmental conditions have changed in the last 20 to 25 years the temperature has risen the winds have picked up the rain has stopped and suddenly the faith of the Western church is being exposed for how shallow it actually is. It's leaving the landscape, like the topsoil is blowing away. I think that's, that's what I'm sensing, right? The topsoil is blowing away, and it's leaving this dry, depleted, cracked, and falling apart landscape. Again, I'm sorry this is depressing. We will get (laughs) to some good news, but we have to understand what's happening. But so sanctuary and friends, we need to understand that faith, true faith can and should be more than a mental exercise about is there a God and what's going to happen when we die. True faith is meant to be a wholehearted, full Bodied, daily experienced, living, loving, trusting relationship with a person that changes our very habits and the way we live our lives. That is real faith. It's not looking at the rope and saying, that's a good rope. It's jumping off the building and trusting that rope. It should be visible and observable in our lives, not just something we think about in our heads. So faith is not just something we think about in our minds, it's a way that we live our lives. Faith is not just something we think in our minds, it's a way we live our lives. Faith that only exists in the realm of our minds and ideas is shallow, and when the winds come and they are, and when the temperature rises and it is, it will be blown away it will be blown away. And that's what we're seeing right now. A shallow faith that is not deep enough to create a changed way of life will quickly become parched ground. Too shallow and too dry to do what soil is meant to do. Hold water and sustain and nurture life. And this is especially true in the face of this changing spiritual climate that we're experiencing now, um, that shallow faith will not be able to sustain life. So um, many of you know our youngest son, Silas, who's over at the kids program. Silas entertains us all. Um, I wish he was here right now because I'd love to hand him the mic and have him tell us a thing or two because I kid you not, this is a conversation we had at dinner the other night. Out of the blue, Silas is like, hey, guys, guess what? We're like, what, buddy? And he's like, I'm going to stop asking my friends if they believe in Jesus. And so we're like, okay. Um, so here's what's going through my mind. Wow. Uh, didn't know that was the thing. Um, how are you, what's your tone like when you're <laughs> asking this question? What do you do when they say no? Wait a minute. Why are you stopping this? Um, are you having a faith crisis? And did somebody tell you not to ask that question? Because it's, you know, potentially emotionally damaging. Like, what happened? So I'm thinking all these things, trying to figure out what to say. And then he continues I'm not going to ask them if they believe in Jesus. I'm going to start asking them if they love Jesus. Because, guys, I believe in the devil too. So it's not about believing, it's about loving. <sighs> right it's not about believing it's about loving silas out of the mouth of babes silas (laughs) is correct (laughs) Uh, in the book of james james makes the same argument as silas essentially he's talking about how faith without deeds is dead which is a little version of what i'm talking about here And he says this in chapter 219. He says, you say you have faith, for you believe there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. It is not about believing in Jesus with our minds if it doesn't include loving Jesus with our lives. It's about walking in the way of Jesus. That is real faith. That's jump off the building, the rope catches you, faith. And so the question we need to ask ourselves as we think about hungering for the way of Jesus, the first question we have to ask is, do we even want his way? Do we want his way? Do we want to live like Jesus? Do we want to look like Jesus? Or would we rather just sit here and love, think about Jesus in our minds but allow ourselves to look just like everybody else. It is much less uncomfortable to just think about Jesus in our minds and do whatever the heck we want and look just like our neighbors. So do we want the way of Jesus, the radical, cross, yeah, you know, uh counter-cultural way of Jesus? Do we actually want that way or not? If you have... Um, heard us you know, talk here at Sanctuary about post-Christian culture, one of the things that I talk a lot about, Greg talks a lot about, is our responses to this culture kind of line up with a threatened animal, fight, flight, camouflage, right? We can fight this, we can run away from it, or we can just try to blend in. Sanctuary, I think our temptation is camouflage, and I think it's easy to camouflage when you think faith is about something you think in your mind, but not a way that you live your life. And so the longer that we do this, the more dry and depleted and brittle the landscape of our hearts and the landscape of the church becomes. And here's where this becomes problematic. So um, I have a chart because I always have to have a chart. Chart. Chart, okay. This is a chart of revival. Um, On the... (laughs) I love my husband. On the left, we have humanity's spiritual health, vibrant and poor, and on the bottom, we have time. And if you look back through the history of God, history of humanity, all the way through the Old Testament, New Testament, all the way through human history since then, there is this ribbon going through the story of times when humanity was walking with God closely and then times of great spiritual decline. And whenever we get to the bottom of one of these curves, God always pours out his spirit and renews his people because he does not want to lose relationship with us. He loves us that much. And so here's the thing. I think if I were to put a, like, you are here star on this, I think we're right here. I think we're right nearing the bottom here. And so what we're actually believing and expecting is God's about to do something. God's about to pour out rain on this dry ground. God is about to do this. And so when I read these articles, like I read this Christianity Today article, it literally says the data does not predict any, um, we have no reason to believe that revival would come based on the data. And I'm like, okay, unless you read your Bible, which says that whenever we're down here, God pours out his spirit. So, yes, the data from the 20th century and 21st century in the United States is not good. But the story of God has this ribbon that repeats over and over and over again. So, here is the problem, though. Um, May I have my assistant? Okay. (laughs) <laughs> i have this little buddy uh well this buddy too this is my husband i have this little guy this is a house plant that i have neglected i have not watered this um greg how dry is that it's so dry okay <laughs> it's is it cracked it's cracked it's all drying apart falling apart what happens when god pours out his spirit on parched ground Yeah, here, do it up here, do it up here. Yeah, do it up here. Okay, just pour it into the... What happens when God pours out his spirit on parched ground? You see what's happening? It goes right through. This soil can't hold water. This soil cannot hold water. So, if God, that's great, thanks. <laughs> you can just let it have a bath. It needs to soak. Soak. Okay. So, if God pours out his spirit right now in the Western church, we cannot hold water. It will pour right through us. But here's the other thing every time we get to this bottom curve here, what does God do? God begins to issue a call to his church get ready. Get ready. And there are many of us in this room who have been hearing this call, and there are many of us around the country who've been hearing this call get ready, I'm about to do something, I'm about to make it rain. rain. (laughs) And in every revival, God is looking for a few, a minority, a, a people who have remained faithful through this decline, who can hold water and who will nurture new life and who will steward and lead the growth that is coming. And so God is saying, sanctuary, get ready, because I'm going to need you to hold some serious water and steward some serious life. So if your soil is dry, we need to start working on that. We need to work on that. And so let's start working on that. And so here's my suggestion for how God might be inviting us to work on that. It's to intentionally practice the way of Jesus through regular habits and rhythms and spiritual practices that transform not just our ideas about God, but the very way we live our lives. The way we talk about this at Sanctuary is like this. The rhythm of our lives, what we do, form the desires of our hearts, what we want, which shape the directions of our lives, who we are becoming. Practicing the way of Jesus is like taking our little parched souls and parking them under a faucet. We do that every day. Guess what? The soil of our hearts gets soft and damp enough to hold more water. We need to practice the way of Jesus rather than just think about Jesus in our minds. I guarantee that anywhere right now, you see those pockets I talked about of lush, green, vibrant spirituality. You see people who are tending to their souls, parking their little pots under the faucet, and that they have a faith that is observable in their lives, not just residing in the realm of their minds. So um, I'm nearing the end. I have no idea what my time is here, but um, just wrap up two practical ways to live this out. First of all, um, I don't think that I can overstate the importance of family discipleship in this moment. And I know this is my thing. And yes, I have a book table in the back. Um, so this is my thing. But I actually think that family discipleship for this particular moment is so essential. When Israel was in a similar spot where they were in danger of forgetting God, God His strategy was activate the parents and talk about me and practice my way in your homes as you're walking along the road and as you're lying down and getting up, not send your kids to religious schools to educate them. Why? Because faith is something that is lived out, not just thought about. And what better life lab than the home for kids and for parents? So I could talk about that all day. There's a seminar this afternoon family discipleship in this moment we need to be people who are not just teaching our kids to think about god um, but to practice his way in their lives and then lastly uh for all of us whether or not we have children or families we need to just start practicing the way of jesus so um, at Sanctuary, we actually have a shared rule of life. And I think we have a picture of this. Um, it's hard to see. But there's a card that you can grab in the Sunday morning space. Oh, look. It magically appeared. Our path. So this is our um, shared rule of life, which we say is a set of practices to guard our habits and guide our lives. This will help us to get under the faucet. These are seven shared practices. This is the way Andrew says that we roll as a family, right? This is how we take our faith from the realm of ideas and live it as a shared way of life. And so if you don't know where to start, how to get yourself under the faucet, if you don't know where to start moving this faith from here to here, start here. This is the way that we have said as a community this is going to define us. We are going to be people that when other people in the city see us, they're like, wow, they're different, and wow, their faith is observable. They're like jumping off buildings. Their faith is observable. And so um, I just want to close here. David says, I stretch out my hands to you. He says, my soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you. And that's really the beginning of change. Because we can look at our soul all day long, we can look at the church all day long and say, wow, it's dry, that's parched. When, we, when that bothers, enough, bothers us enough that we recognize we're thirsty and we reach out for water, that's when things will change because God responds to that thirst. God is a good father. Your kids, you know, after you put them to bed, they come out and ask for water, and you're like, come on. (laughs) That's not how God responds. God's like, you want water? Here's a drink. So stretch out your hands to God. When you're thirsty, put your little plant under the faucet, and God will satisfy you. Hunger and thirst for God is the only hunger and thirst that is positively correlated with satisfaction. The more we hunger, the more we thirst, the more God satisfies us. And so sanctuary and friends, this is the first step. We thirst. We reach out our hands. We ask God to nourish us, to make our souls places that they were intended to be, places that can hold water and nurture and sustain life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask um, we ask you to, <laughs> to make it rain, Lord. <laughs> but Lord, before you do, get us ready. Get us ready. So God, help us to be people who take our faith from the realm of ideas to the realm of our lives. And Lord, help us to put ourselves under the faucet every day that we would know you not just with our minds, but we would taste you. We would experience you. We would live and walk your way. Holy Spirit, we want to be ground that is fertile, ground that can hold more water, ground that will sustain and nurture the new life we know you're going to bring. So God, would you do this. Help us to hunger and thirst for you. Amen. All right, Um, I just wanna draw your attention to this sheet here. This is for you. Um, I guess it's a similar way to take the ideas shared in this room and in the breakouts from the realm of your mind to the realm of your feet. And so you have some places here to write down your takeaways and your questions and then to make it touch your calendar and your to-do list, which we all know is like where the real rubber meets the road. And then ways that God's inviting you to journey in the four directions, upward, inward, outward, and withward. And so we have a few minutes here. Um, We're just going to take some space to, um, why don't you go ahead and pull this out and do a little bit of reflecting. And um, just write down specifically any ways God is inviting you to take this from the realm of ideas to your feet and how you want to live. So take a few minutes for that.